I'm sure you're praying that your pastor will come back, hopefully. You're praying for that, and uh, so uh, we'll keep that going. You know, most of us like a good party, and uh, we had one this year. On January 5th, we had a really big party. Some of you here were uh, there at the party, and you know what I'm talking about, when uh, Kip and Kristen were married. And it was a great time, great celebration, a lot of people, a lot of fun, people partying, having a great time. And we were all partying. Kathy and I were partying. Kim was partying because we were just really excited that somebody finally took Kip off our hands. <laughs> and so we were partying like crazy. And uh, we told Kristen afterwards that, you know, with Kip, there's a no uh, return policy and a no money back guarantee. So what you get is what you get. But it was a great time. And we had a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, weddings are, ought to be a time of joy time when people get together and celebrate. If you've ever gone to a wedding that was a downer, that's kind of sad, you know what I mean? Because normally you go, everybody's just having a great time, and it's a lot of fun, and, and that's what weddings are all about. Just kind of a side note, um, when Kip and uh, Kristen left on their honeymoon, Kip goes, hey, Dad, can you, can you clean my car? You know, we have a free, you know, uh, pass, you know, to take it into the car wash, so could you, you know, take it in because it's got stuff all over it? Maybe you get to see a picture of it here in just a second. Yeah, you know, it was looking, it was, the white stuff's snow, by the way. So, yeah, it was looking kind of crazy, you know. And so I said, yeah, I'll do it, you know. And so, you know, they left, went on their honeymoon. I went to take their car and totally forgot what was written all over it. <laughs> and so, you know, I go driving up to the car wash. You know how that is. You drive up to the car wash, and it's got dark tinted windows, which is kind of cool. I kind of hide out. But I drive up there. And on the side, it said basically stuff like, virgins on the loose. <laughs> I mean, what is that? I'm just glad that all of Kip's friends were rated PG, you know? His friends are pretty, you know, pretty conservative kind of guys, so that was all good. Matter of fact, I think Kim wrote most of it. And uh, so I go driving up there, you know, and, and the window goes down, and the guy looks at me, you know, in the car. <laughs> And I'm trying to figure out what in the world. I go, it's, it's my son's car. You know, it's his car. I'm just getting it clean for him. And I'm sure this guy thought, here's the 54-year-old virgin right there. There he is. I was just going, what am I doing? Still had balloons filled inside, you know, and it was just crazy. Shows how much I love my son. Where's Kip? Kip, you owe me again. Yeah, he's in the back. So, But, you know, at, at weddings, you know, I've noticed one thing about weddings. Early days, you know, I'd go to weddings when I was growing up and, you know, early on when I was in the ministry, weddings, you know, were pretty much, you know, you go to a wedding and, you know, you, you have the great ceremony, you go to the fellowship hall, the church, and you have cake. Remember that? That was a wedding. It's not like that anymore. Now you go to weddings and, you know, people are everywhere and they got, you know, DJs and people dance. And I was always kind of taught when I was growing up that, you know, what if you were dancing and Jesus came back? Remember that? How many of you know what I'm talking about? You kind of, yeah, okay, you kind of raised that way. You know, and I always thought the idea was, well, if Jesus comes back and you're dancing, maybe you would be embarrassed. But I, th I think of it this way now. I think when I'm dancing, Jesus might come back because he's embarrassed of me dancing. <laughs> and, you know, he might come back and say, you know, I've had enough of this, Jones. I'm taking you out. So, you know. So that's what I'm thinking. But I remember when the movie Footloose came out. I remember that when it came out a long time ago. And, and I was a youth pastor. I remember it made all of us really nervous. Made all the youth guys nervous. Because here was, you know, the pastor's daughter was wild. Remember that? 
And uh, Kevin Bacon's character was defending dancing using the Bible, of all things. He would use like 2 Samuel 6.14 that said, David danced before the Lord with all his might. Use Ecclesiastes 3.4. There is a time to mourn and a time to dance. And the reason this movie made all of us nervous was that he had a point. The point was not God likes to dance, but the point is God likes to celebrate. That's the point. God likes to party. If you study the Old Testament, you're going to find this. God saw the importance of taking time to celebrate. It was so important to him that three times a year he would shut down the entire nation of Israel and they would celebrate. They had the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They had the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Tabernacles. And he would basically told them this. He said, be joyful at your feast. For seven days celebrate the feast to the Lord your God. In other words, God said, hey, we're going to shut it down three times a year, and we're going to take a whole week, we're just going to celebrate. We're going to have a party. We're going to celebrate to God, how, His greatness and how great He really is. I remember, you know, our, our, our comeback to that would be something like, well, that was the Old Testament. That was under the law. That was the Old Covenant. And we would say, like, we're under the New Covenant now, which is the non-partying covenant. But I'm a firm believer that God likes to celebrate. And so this morning we want to look at one of the parables that Jesus taught in Luke 15. If you have a Bible, you can look it up, Luke chapter 15. And what's great about Luke 15 is this. There's three parables in the entire chapter. And what's great about it is that Jesus is basically going to give us a direct look into his heart. We're going to see what was important to him. We're going to see this morning why he would tell us Let's get the party started. A little background as you're looking up Luke 15. is we find Jesus in the middle of his teaching ministry. He had become extremely popular, not because of just the fact that he was a great teacher, but also because he was healing people and doing miracles. And so he had a great following. Wherever he went, people followed him. And so what we're going to find here as we pick up in Luke 15 is Jesus is getting ready to have another teaching session. I don't know exactly where this would be, but he's basically getting ready to teach, and so people are gathered around, and they're ready to listen to what he has to say. So first of all, I want you to notice this. (coughs) Right before I got ready to speak, I got this frog that climbed into my throat. No idea where he came from. There, I just washed him down for a while. That's good. But I want you to notice this. Verses 1 and 2, it's really important to know the people in the mix. In other words, who was there? Who was there to listen to this sermon, this parable that Jesus was going to teach? Notice how it starts off. He's going to give us three groups. In verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. The first group mentioned here in the mix today is a group called the tax collectors. It's interesting. In Jesus' day, there were two kinds of tax collectors. There were those that collected general taxes, which would be like property tax and income tax. And there are those who collected user taxes, such as import taxes, business taxes, license and tolls. And these collectors, what was interesting was that most of them were crooked. They could basically set the tax wherever they wanted. They could just randomly, you know, if you looked like you had a lot of money, they could make it really high. They could make it low. They could do whatever they wanted to do. So we find out this too. Most of these tax collectors collected taxes for the Romans. And because of that, they were hated by the Jews. They were so hated that they were marked as traitors. They were so hated that they were not allowed to worship in the synagogue. 
In other words, these tax collectors were not allowed to go to church at all. But Jesus, he was extremely popular with the tax collectors. Matter of fact, he had one of them on his staff. It was Matthew. And Matthew's story, if you have taken notes, just write this down, Matthew 5, 27 through 31. His story is a great story. I love the story of how Matthew became a believer. Remember, Jesus shows up. He was collecting taxes in a booth. He had his own little tax collector's booth. It was interesting. There were those tax collectors who were just bold enough or crazy enough just to stand in their own booth and collect taxes. A lot of them didn't want people to know what they did. And so they would hire somebody to collect the the tax for them. But that was not Matthew. Matthew collected his own taxes. (coughs) So Matthew's in this booth. He collects taxes. Jesus shows up, invites Matthew, talks to him. Matthew says, I'm going to follow you. So Jesus goes to Matthew's house. And what does Matthew do? He throws a huge celebration. He has a big party. And who does he invite? His friends. Who are his friends? Tax collectors and sinners. He invites them to this party. In Luke 19, we find another story. Jesus has another little tax collecting buddy. What was his name? Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was literally up a tree. And Jesus, remember, invites him down. And then Jesus does something really interesting. Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. Have you ever told when you were growing up, Never invite yourself over to somebody's house. How many of your parents told you that? Yeah, my mom used to say, that is so rude, Kelly, to invite yourself to somebody else's house. I wish I would have known this verse. I could have said, Mom, WWJD. (laughs) Jesus did it all the time. And so Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' house. So the first group were the tax collectors. The second group was the sinners. How many of you qualify? That's good, yeah, that's great. Makes us all fit in. This was a tomb used in Jesus' day for those who didn't follow the Mosaic law. In other words, it was used for robbers and drunks and prostitutes. And it's interesting, both of these groups were not allowed to go to the synagogue as well. In other words, they couldn't worship at church. (coughs) Excuse me? Crawl back up. I remember when I was a youth pastor at a church, and we had a group from Western Baptist College, which is now Corbin College, come to our church. It was a singing group and a drama group, and they were doing some bunch of crazy stuff. And so they did a skit on the prodigal son. I'll never forget this. One of their guys went to the back, went into the men's room at our church, and changed into all these ratty clothes. So he comes out, and he's ready to do this skit, and he was the prodigal coming back. And one of our ushers, this big Swedish guy, goes up to him and says, what are you going to do? And the guy goes, well, I'm going to go into the auditorium there. And the guy goes, no, you're not. And he goes, what do you mean I'm not? He goes, you're not going in there looking like that. The guy goes, I'm in the skit. The guy goes, you're not going in there. And he goes, no, seriously, I'm in the group. It was really funny, but you know what the other side was? It was really sad. It was sad that our usher wasn't going to let this guy in because of what he looked like and how he was dressed. And, you know, that was so common in Jesus' day that the tax collectors and the sinners, they were totally left out of the Jewish community. The the God-fearing, pharisaical Jews would have nothing to do with these people. And yet those were the people that Jesus was hanging out with. Notice the third group. The third group was the Pharisees. 
Verse 2, But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You know, it's important to note, if you're going to reach people, you're going to have your critics. If you're going to reach the lost, you will have your critics. You'll have those people who think you're hanging out with the wrong people. That's what you'll have. You'll also have those times when you're going to be embarrassed. Kind of, you know, uncomfortable because of maybe some of the crazy stuff that people do. I remember I was a pastor of this church and a guy that started coming to our church and he had a lot of emotional problems and family problems. And one night I get a phone call at midnight and anytime you're a pastor and the phone rings at midnight, it's never good. It's never a telemarketer. <coughs> and so this guy, I get a phone call, it's his best friend. This guy's at the hospital. I told Kathy, I, I got to go to the hospital and see what's going on. So I get there and this guy's in the psych ward of the hospital in our community. And so I go back, I tell him who I am, I go back and I talk to this guy for a while, and he tried to, you know, commit suicide, and he really didn't try that hard, but he had done that, and he was locked in this room, and the police are outside, and it was a crazy time. I go back, and I'm sitting with his wife, I mean, sitting with his mom and with his friend, and we're kind of back in, you know, the reception area, a waiting area of this hospital, and, and I'm there like 20, 30 minutes after I talk to him, and I'm just kind of talking to him. And all of a sudden, I hear this banging on the door, like back in this guy's room, bam, bam, bam. And then I hear this, I want my pastor. I want my blankety-blank pastor, Kelly Jones. And this guy goes on for like 20 minutes, swearing, cussing, I want my pastor, Kelly Jones. Finally, guess what happens? The nurse comes, opens the door and goes, uh, is there a pastor, Kelly Jones, out here? Yeah, like one in the morning, there's three of us, okay? And I go, yeah, that's me. <laughs> so I go back there, you know, talk to this guy one more time, trying to help him out. And it was a crazy, I get home like six in the morning, I crawl in bed, and Kathy goes, what happened? I go, you don't want to know. You don't want to know. But you know what I found out? When, when you try to reach people, when you're out there where people are at, where people struggle, you're going to have your times, and guess what? You're just going to be embarrassed. You just got to go for it. You got to live with it. Because the goal is to reach these people. So who was there? The IRS, the sinners, the legalists. I mean, what a group. What a group. Kind of like, what was that? Like, if that was your church. The old saying, I always loved this saying about, they said the church is like Noah's Ark. If it wasn't for the storm on the outside, you couldn't handle the stink on the inside. So true. Church is made up of all kinds of crazy things going on. I remember a church where I was at, and uh, the Cashmere's were here, uh, Greg and Donna. And they were in that church. <laughs> They're not a part of the story, but they were in that church. And, uh, and I'll never forget, one Sunday morning, I'm sitting there up on the little platform. You know, we used to sit on the platform. Remember that? Churches, the pastor set up on front. And I'd sit up there. I'm looking out over my congregation, little church in a small community. And I'll never forget that on this side, there was a guy who had gotten some serious trouble, very serious trouble. And he was sitting with his wife. And he knew that the next day, on Monday, he was going to be arrested. On this side was a state patrol officer sitting with his family. He knew that the next day he was going to arrest this guy. And they're all in my church. And I'm just sitting there going, wow. <laughs> Luckily, it's not bigger. <laughs> That's when you're glad your church isn't that big. <laughs> you got more people, you got more crazy problems. You know? <laughs> That's how it works. But I'll never forget that. I'll never forget this either. This guy's a believer. This guy's a believer. At the end of the service, this guy, the state patrol officer, came over. 
talked to the guy who was in big trouble, fellow believer, and said, here's what's going to happen to you tomorrow. I just want you to know. And just shared with him to kind of take the fear away. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. We're going to take you here. We're going to take you down to Klamath County and you're going to get booked in. Here's what that's going to look like. And he told him exactly what he was going to experience the next day. That's the church. It's church working. So here we find what a mix of people are hearing Jesus speak. I want you to notice something else. I want you to notice the sermon was in a parable. It's important to note who was speaking here. It says in verse 3, Then Jesus told them this parable. You know, I'm a firm believer. Jesus is the greatest speaker of all time. No doubt about it. Now, let's be honest. It helps being God, doesn't it? I mean, it really does. I mean, talking about knowing your audience. I remember one of the principles in my homiletics class was to know your audience. Know the people you're speaking to. Kind of like scratch the people where they itch. And if you get them talking about something nobody cares about, then nobody cares. So you kind of got to know who you're speaking to. I had a college friend who went to hear this guy and, and at this big college Bible study group. And there's like 150 college students there. And he came back and he told me, yeah, it was unbelievable. I said, what happened? He goes, there was this guy that was speaking. They called him the blind prophet. I said, the blind prophet? He goes, yeah, he was blind. I go, well, what happened? He goes, he was calling people out for their sin, just calling them out. I go, really, what did he say? He goes, some people in this room, they got a problem with lust. Well, you think? I'm thinking 150 college students, and you get up and say, somebody's got a problem with lust? I think you had a pretty good chance you might be right on that one. You know what I mean? I mean, I could have done that. I'm no prophet. You know? Some of you got a problem with lust. Ah, he knew my sin, you know. <laughs> I never could figure that one out. My buddy was all excited about that. I was just thinking, that's pretty easy. And, uh, but Jesus knows his audience. And he knows their greatest need. And so he tells them this parable. I always thought a great definition of a parable is this, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so he tells them the parable about a guy who had a hundred sheep and he lost one. So what was the point of the parable? Look at verse 4. It says, suppose you have, you, you have a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. So what is Jesus in this parable telling the tax collectors and the sinners? What's he saying in this parable to them? He's basically saying this. I'm going after you. I'm going after you. If you're lost, I'm going after you. And I love you so much that when I find you, I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to put you on my shoulders. I'm going to bring you back. And I'm going to have a party. I'm going to invite all my friends. And we're going to celebrate that you were found. That's what Jesus is saying to all those people. Remember what Jesus said to the tax collector Zacchaeus? He said, Today salvation has come to this house, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. In other words, Zacchaeus, you were lost, and I found you. I even went to your house to have dinner with you. I'll never forget, I have a guy that I worked with at the school where I work, and his name is Bill Landy, and... He used to be 
a uh, policeman at the Houston Police Department. And we had a kind of a rash a couple years ago of kids running away. Summertime, kids a little antsy. So we had a couple kids run away. And so Landy goes, hey, can I talk to all the guys about running away? And we thought, sure, you know. So Landy, you were in this group, and there's like 20 guys in a circle, and Landy's telling this story. And so he said, I used to work for the Houston Police Department, and I worked on a, a part of that where people, like, ran away, and I worked with that. And so Landy basically tells us, he says, you know, if you run away and you're out in the street and you're hitchhiking, he said, there's people that are good Samaritans. There's people that will come by, and they feel sorry for you, and they'll pick you up, you know, and, and give you a ride to wherever you need to go. And then he said this. He goes, but I also want you to know this. And he said, dead seriously, there's people looking for you. And it got dead quiet. And this one little boy next to me goes, I'll never run away. <laughs> never. I was freaking out. I'll never hitchhike after that story. I'll, there's people looking for you. And you know, what, you know what I thought about? So often we forget. If you're out here today and, and, and you're looking for you know, something and, and you're seeking the truth and maybe you're coming to, you know, to Antioch and you're just trying to find out what God's all about, what Jesus is all about, all I can say to you today is, is you're in a great place because Jesus is looking for you. He's looking for you. He came to seek and to save those that are looking for Him. Those that are lost. That's how much He loves you. And so Jesus tells them this parable. And I want you to know, this is so exciting, I love this. It's kind of an invitation. Verse 7, invitation to the party. You know, when we have a party, we send out invitations and usually on the invitation, it tells you the reason for the party. For example, you get a, you know, a wedding invitation. You get an invitation, you go, wow, that's a wedding invitation. You know, if you get a sympathy card like me, then it's your birthday. Yeah, that's just how it works. But I want you to notice this invitation. Why the party? Look at verse 7. Jesus says this. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. In other words, heaven's a party. Heaven is a place of celebration. How many people does it take for heaven to have at a party? All it takes is what? One. One person. One person finds Christ. One person realizes their need of Him and comes to Him. Heaven breaks out in a party. Kind of like a red robin. I've mean, been to Red Robin when it's busy, and there's like one birthday after another. And you just get annoyed with that. Especially if it's next to you. All of a sudden, all the people show up, and they gather around you. Oh, man, a birthday. Sing- Pretty soon, you sing along. Remember that? It's crazy. I've never been to Ferrell's. Remember Ferrell's? The old days? That was a crazy place, too. If you wanted to go have a quiet dinner, that's not a place to go to. That's what it's like in heaven. Imagine in heaven. Anytime a person anywhere in the world repents, it's a party. It's going all the time. A place is a party, hearty place. It's a celebration. Such an awesome place. You say, who's at the party? Well, if you skip down to the next parable, the parable of the lost coin, look at verse 10. He says, in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. In other words, the angels, they're, they're partying too. Michael and Gabriel getting down in heaven. Got no idea what that would look like, but, you know, just imagine. What a great celebration is going on. You know, you know what's great about the party in heaven? You know what's so great about it? 
Here's what I think. There's no party poopers up there. There isn't. There's no party poopers in heaven. There's nobody raining on the parade. Nobody who's a downer. You say, how do you know that? Well, I want you to understand the next parable. Yeah, the parable of the lost sheep. Remember that? hundred sheep, a guy loses one, he goes and finds it. You have the parable of the lost coin, you have ten coins. The person loses one coin, they go and find it, they have a party. The next is the parable of the lost son, which we call what? The prodigal son. The guy has two sons and one leaves. And when he finds his son, when his son returns, the dad throws what? This huge party. Remember that? Well, who's the party pooper? And I believe the whole parable, the basic uh, purpose of that parable is about the party pooper. Who's the older son? Remember that? He gets all upset. Well, who's Jesus talking to in that parable? He's talking to the Pharisees. In the first parable, he's talking to the tax collectors and the sinners. In the second parable, he's talking to the tax collectors and the sinners. In the third parable, he's talking to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who are are around there because they're the critical ones. They're the party poopers. They're the ones who basically are bringing everything down. They're the ones who keep asking the question, why do you hang out with sinners? Why do you hang out with these tax collectors? And Jesus is talking to them in the third parable. Matter of fact, when Matthew had his, his little party, the Pharisees showed up at that, and they kept asking the disciples, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? They're just downers. They're the negative people. They're the people that, you know, if you try to reach people and you say, we're going to do this and we're going to do that, and maybe it's kind of out there, maybe the music's, you know, really out there and you're playing all this stuff. They're the ones, oh, man, we can't, you know, that's not what God would want us to do. They're the party poopers, the critical spirits that bring everybody down and takes the fun out of church, puts the celebration, makes everybody not want to. Well, we can't celebrate because we do, we might lose some people. Since it's not my church, I can say this. <laughs> I call it the right foot of fellowship. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> you <know. clears throat> See, Ken's in Africa, so I can say that. He's a long way away. Maybe he's traveling back today, but he can, you know, he'll put it together next week. <laughs> but don't fire my kids over it because they really need a job, okay? That's important. <laughs> But you understand, you know what I'm trying to say. Hopefully you get it. The church is a place to celebrate. The church is a place where we rejoice. The church is a place where we come together and we realize what God has done and we celebrate new people and new lives and the birth of new people in Christ. What, what a great place. We don't need party poopers. We need those people not to come. Notice lastly, I want you to think about this. How does it apply to us? How does it apply to us this morning? Well, there's three things I want you to think about as you leave today. The first one is this. Jesus is still looking for you. If you're seeking today, he's looking for you. And then what's great is you have to understand, you can't play hide-and-seek with him. You can't play hide-and-seek. People in the Bible have tried that. Adam tried it, remember? You know, Adam, where are you? Which is, if you think about it, what a dumb question, really. I mean, I'm not calling God dumb here. But you know what? God's going, Adam, where are you? Did God know where Adam was at? 
It's like, you know, when your kid hides under the bed and you know he's underneath the bed because he's making all kinds of racket and you're going, come out, come out, wherever you are, but you know he's there. That's God and Adam. I mean, God knew where Adam was at. And, you know, Jonah tried it. Remember, he tried hiding from God. And, and he got thrown and, and God swallowed him. Remember that? In the fish. I always loved that. I always thought that's the first example of catch and release. You know, I like to fish, and I'm a firm believer it's biblical to catch and release, and now I have a passage for it, okay? It's Jonah. And so remember, hey, he loves you so much. He's coming after you. He's not going to let you go. not let you get away. He's seeking you. Maybe as much as you're seeking him. He's not hard to find. And so remember this morning, he's looking for you. Secondly, I want you to think about this. Who is the one in your life? Who's the one in your life? Jesus told his disciples, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. One of my favorite verses. I know a little bit about fishing. And there's some things I've learned over the years. One of them is this. It's hard to fish where there's no fish. That make sense? It's really tough. I got this book by this guy, Denny Rickards, and he's basically the Babe Ruth of fly fishing in Oregon. And in the book, in the back of this book, it's got 150 principles are, are ideas on uh, stillwater fishing. And number six is this. He says this. <clears throat> to catch big trout, fish lakes that can support big fish. In other words, what he said, if you want to catch fish, how about fishing a lake that has fish? That makes sense? Okay. That's deep, I know. That's why you'll have a really hard time finding a fishing guide at the Great Salt Lake. Not a great place. If you're going to open up like a fishing cabin at Salt Lake, you might want to you know, go somewhere else since there's no fish in there. But I want you to look at it this way. Why is Antioch Church in Bend? Why has God placed you here? Because that's where the fish are. That's where the fish are. It's been my experience over the years that I've you know, been involved in churches and studied churches and read about churches that most churches set out to reach the lost. That's one of their goals. We're going to reach the lost. But they end up using most of their time and resources to take care of the 99. That's been my experience. Most Christians would rather be taken care of in the fold than be out in the world looking for the lost. We like that nurture of being warm and fuzzy and together and all that. It's all nice. But you know, the heart of, the, the heart of Christ the reason he came, the purpose of the church, is so I have come to what? Seek and to save those that are lost. That's the goal. So who's the one in your life? I want you to think about that. To have the heart of Jesus is you should have one person you're looking at. There's one person God's placed in your life. Maybe somebody you work with, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a friend who doesn't know him. That you should look at that person and say, you know, this is a person God has placed in my life that I might seek that person for Christ. You know, Easter's, I mean, yeah, Easter's coming up in a couple of weeks. Easter and Christmas are when people think about maybe coming to church. I know here in Antioch, you're going to have a great celebration on that day. What a great opportunity to invite somebody. What a great opportunity. You should start praying today. Lord, give me Give me some people to invite. Give me that one person that I might encourage, I might invite, my neighbor, my friend, somebody that I work with, and say, hey, why don't you come to church with us on Sunday? 
and then invite yourself over to their house for dinner. And you know, it's a biblical thing to do. Just want to be like Jesus. By the way, I'll come to your house too for dinner, okay? Or you can take me out. Either way, I don't care. <laughs> don't really care how it works, but... So think about that. The last thing we think about is this. Let's get the party started. We meet together to celebrate what God has done in our life. We meet together to celebrate what God's doing in our life. We meet together to celebrate the new people God has added into the kingdom. You know, that's why baptism is such a great celebration. Such a great time. Because when somebody stands and, and declares they want to be baptized, and you baptize them in water, and you, and you put them down, they basically say, I'm identifying myself with the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want everybody to know my public witness that I'm a follower of Christ. What a great celebration that is. Isn't that right? Great time. That's what it's all about. So when you meet together on Sunday, man, come happy. Come to celebrate. Come to rejoice in what God has done. Because that's what God's doing. He's celebrating. You know what's great? He's celebrating all the time, man. Parties going on in heaven all the time. So when you get there, if you should die and you go there, guess what? Just get ready to party. Get the hat. Get the little dee, little buzzer, whatever you got. You know, little thing. Get some graffiti, to th- whatever you got to throw around. I mean, is that graffiti? You throw around? Confetti. Yeah, I didn't think it was. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, get your spray paint so you can graffiti in heaven, okay? Because it's pearly gates and all that. Maybe you need to, you know, tag some things, you know. I don't know. Yeah. Then when you get wound up, you sometimes throw out words, but that's not that bad a word, so I'm glad it was that one. You know, could have been something else, you never know. Hey, but the point is this. Let's celebrate. Let's party. And let's look for those people that are lost. Let's pray. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. Just uh, maybe you're here today and um, you're thinking, you know, I've I've been seeking the truth about God. I've been seeking the truth about Jesus and the Bible. And uh, and maybe today you realize, hey, I just need to talk to somebody more about that. I'm at the place where I realize God loves me so much. Jesus loved me so much that He came to this earth and died on the cross for my sins. He's seeking me today, and I feel that's. The Holy Spirit's like leading me to talk to somebody. And I just want you to know here at Antioch Church, you know, there's a whole lot of people you can talk to. You know, Brandon's up front. There's people on the worship team. There's other pastors you see in the bulletin, other people here. And, and Ken will be back. And if you're seeking that, just don't put it off. If God's putting that on your heart to talk to somebody about your personal relationship with Him, then make sure to do that this next week. Don't put it off. Realize how much God loves you. If you're here today, just think about that one person, that one person that God's placed into your life. And maybe today that person just came up. When I was talking about that, you thought of a person. God placed that person on your heart. Maybe to start praying that you might invite them maybe to Easter or invite them sometime to church or whatever it might be. Just start praying for that person, that one person, the lost. Father God, we thank you for today. and. Thank you for this passage. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for your heart for the lost. I know you came to die for them, but here in this teaching, you so encouraged the tax collectors and the sinners. You so gave to them what they needed to hear about how much you loved them and cared for them.
And Lord, I just pray that you would just encourage us today. May we find your heart. May we find your heart for that one, that one person. Father God, I want to thank you for this church. I want to thank you for all the people in Africa that are traveling back. And I just pray your protection upon them and safety as they come back and get in tomorrow. And thank you for the opportunity that they had to go. Again, I want to thank you for the the witness that Antioch is here in our community and just pray that you would bless them greatly um, in the days, weeks, and months ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.